Hi, I'm Mark, and thank you for joining me today on Words of Truth. You know, one of my favorite TV shows in TV land history was hosted by a man named Art Linkletter called Kids Say the Darndest Things. Now, if you're old enough like me, you probably remember that show. But for those of you who are too young to remember it, Art Linkletter would ask children about their views on life. And then the children would give an answer, and sometimes they would say the darndest thing. Uh, one question he asked was about what they felt about marriage and love and families. When Kenny, age seven, was, was asked about love, he said, it gives me a headache to think about that stuff. I'm just a kid. I don't need that kind of trouble. Diane, age 10, responded, I'm not rushing into love. I'm finding fourth grade hard enough. <laughs> At age eight, uh, one person, one kid said, one of you should know how to write a check because if you have tons of love, there's still going to be a lot of bills. Now, there's a wise kid. Manuel, age eight, replied, I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something but the rest of it isn't supposed to be painful. <laughs> Ricky, age seven, was asked, what would you suggest to make a marriage work? And he answered, tell your wife that, he looks, that she looks pretty even if she looks like a truck. Now, there's some good advice. Sometimes I think kids understand life better than adults do. And what these answers tell us is that they understand just how hard love can be. You see, creating an atmosphere of love in a family is very difficult, but it's not impossible. One child once prayed to God, I bet it's hard for you to love everybody in the whole world. There are only four people in our family, and I can never do it. <laughs> so... What is it that needs to take place in the home so that it's a place of love and respect? We don't want anger and yelling to be the rule, do we? But we want love and respect to be the rule in our homes. So how do we get there? Well, I don't have time to go into this in depth, but let me just kind of skim the surface. People get married and they have a dream in their heart of a home as a place of comfort, a place where love and respect and honor create a kind of protection against a harsh and cruel world. Uh, they want a home where they can relax and be safe, but they're not sure how to get there. Might I suggest the first place to start is with God? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. I want you to notice that he says, be imitators of God. Hmm. What, is, how, what does that mean? How do you do that? What is it about God that we're called to imitate? He tells us in verse 2, Walk in love as Christ also has loved us. That's what it means. We learn by imitation. As followers of Christ, we learn how to love by watching how God loves us and imitating him. And you know, if a child is raised in a home where a parent is abusive, 
either verbally or physically, when they become parents, it's more likely that they'll also become abusive. The New York Times published an article on a scientific study that revealed that about one-third of people who are abused in childhood will become abusers themselves. This is a lower percentage than many experts had expected, but obviously poses a major social challenge. The research confirms that abuse in childhood increases the likelihood in adulthood of problems ranging from depression and alcoholism and sexual maladjustment and multiple personalities. In other words, research shows also that God's word confirms that we tend to imitate what we have been taught. But God says, I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to be harsh or cruel or abusive with people. What I want you to do is I want you to live a life of love. And that's not only when we're at church, not only when we're at work, not just when we're interacting with people in our neighborhood, but it should especially be true when we're at home with our families. 1 John chapter 4, verses 11 and 12 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love has been purified in us. You see, if we show our families the love that God has shown to us, it's more likely that they'll show that same kind of love to to the families that they have and others around them. What is God's love? Well, God loved us by taking the first step. 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love, not that We loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word, propitiation. Have you used that one lately? No, not me either. It's a big word that means God's covering or God atoning for sin. And indeed, Romans 5.10 tells us, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. You see, God loved us before we even did anything to deserve it, even when we weren't even very attractive to love because of our sin. And if we're to be imitators of God in love, that means that love in my family begins with me, begins with you, my friend. Do you remember that great love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13? This is what it says in verses 1 to 3. Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feel to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. In other words, the Apostle Paul is saying that love begins with me. As far as God is concerned, if we're going to have love in our families, we can't wait for somebody else to imitate it, but we have to be the ones who imitate it. And if we wait, and if and if we wait. If somebody else deserves it, then forgive it. Get it. You'll you'll be waiting a long time. You see, God loved us by taking the first step, and we need 
to imitate him. God also loved us by finding a way to cover our sins. 1 John 4.10 says, And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And as I've mentioned already, the word propitiation means to cover or to atone to. <clears throat> in the Old Testament, the Ark of the Covenant was kept in the Holy of Holies, a room separated from all the people except for appointed priests. And once a year, the high priest would make a sacrifice for the sins of the people, and he'd take the blood of that sacrifice, and he'd go inside of the Holy of Holies, and he'd sprinkle it on the mercy seat, and guess what? He would cover the ark. And when that was done, God considered the sins of the people to be covered, and he wouldn't look on their sins again. And so when John tells us that God loved us by sending his son to, as an atoning sacrifice, what he's, what he's saying is that when we belong to Jesus, when we believe that Jesus is the son of God, when we repent of our sins, when we accept Jesus as a master of our lives, it's at that point that our sins are covered and God won't look at them ever again. And here, here's the point. God tells us that we get a chance to do the same thing for others. Isn't that marvelous? 1 Peter 4.8, And above all things have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. I don't know the history of your family, what kind of pain some of you been, have been through with your family, but, but if you want to show God's kind of love in your own family, you need to learn to find a way to cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs 17, 9 says, He who covers a transgression seeks love. Covering a transgression doesn't mean that a person who caused a transgression is just let off the hook, but it, it, it has more to do with us than them. Sometimes there isn't anything we can do about the person who causes the offense, but we can do something about us. And when we cover a transgression, we're not denying our own hurt. We're not saying that the transgressor shouldn't be remorseful. But in our covering the transgression, we're saying that we're not holding that offense against them. We're saying that we're freeing ourselves from being under the burden of the offense. And then we continue to pray for the offender that they'll come to their senses and repent of their actions. That's just what God has done for us. Isaiah 53, 5 says, But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And this is what we need to train our children to do. But it starts with us. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a good day, and I'll see you next week.